This is Michael, you're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. Guys, welcome to another episode. I'm with Lucas Thomas today. Lucas began his career as an investment real estate agent, creating cash flow investments for his clients' portfolios with properties like Airbnb, extended stays, and absentee owner businesses, as well as long-term rentals. He went on to become an investment loan officer, now licensed in multiple states, where he specializes in landlord loans and commercial loans. And the final part of his evolution to date uh, to serve clients was becoming a financial planner, where he now helps clients achieve what he calls FIRE, F-I-R-E, uh, financial independence and retire early and when, whenever I need. Uh, I love these. We're going to get into them. Lucas, thanks for making some time today. Of course. So a few years back, man, and I have this book right here. Um, I read Retire Young, Retire Rich. Have you read this book? No, I don't. It's really funny. I'm one of those people. I, I don't read books and everyone's like, how did you learn investing then? I'm like, um, my very first investment was this ugly, horrible condo in this terrible neighborhood, and I bought it for $40,000 cash, and I became a landlord of it, and that's, that was my very first investment. I was a landlord, and then I had to deal with all the drug dealers, the heroin addicts, and you know, I had to deal with all that, and I was like, my, and they're like, how did you learn all that? Did you read a book? And I'm like, no, I bought one, and then I just kind of, from the seat of my pants, was just like, okay, all right. This is what you got to do. This is what we got to do. Like, how do you evict somebody? And then I just had to like do my own research. And so I don't actually read any books. What I do is I just, I like, I like to learn my investment first. Once I master it, then I turn around and I give it to my clients. Like, so whenever I speak of something, um, it's either I've done it and I don't, I don't, I don't like to get into anything I haven't personally made money off of. So no, I've never read that book and sorry for, taking the, I, I have a tendency to go off on tangents, but basically I don't read books. <laughs> I'm good, brother. So I, I learned so much just from Robert Kiyosaki in general. Um, and that's, that was the genesis of my financial literacy awakening. Um, but I think it speaks to this larger idea that more people are just coming into this fact that this type of thing is truly possible, like retiring in their thirties or forties by virtue of side hustles and passive income investments. Um, take me through your journey to financial freedom. What were some of your best investments, maybe some that didn't pan out, but which gave you those key learnings? And then what were those learnings that, that you've gleaned? Okay, cool. So I got my real estate license right after college. Okay. Because I was because I was in the army and the army will teach you not to want to have a boss ever again. So they'd be having bosses out of me. And then once I, uh, went to college, my entire is really funny. Most people go to college to have like that checkbox so they can get a good job. My whole thing in college was how do I not have a real job? I don't want to have a real job. I don't want to, I want to just do nothing all day. If I have the option, if I want to just, just sleep in today, how do I get that? If I want to take a nap, how do I get to the ability to take a nap? So when I was in college, I started my own copywriting business, um, which was, uh, just, you know, writing, you know, sales copy, uh, writing anything, any advertising you've ever seen, those are written by copywriters. So one day I just started a business. Um, I guess I lied before. I guess I do read books, but I read one book, um, How to Become a Copywriter. So I read How to Become a Copywriter, um, read that book, just, you know, put up my little sign that said, I'm a copywriter now. And I Googled how much copywriters make. And the average was like $50 an hour. So I was like, okay. So I'm just going to charge $50 an hour and I'm just not going to go down below that. And people are like, really? I'm like, yeah, I mean, if that's what the internet says, I'm going to go with what the internet says. And if they Google it, they'll see what I, they'll see that same thing that I saw and then they can't argue anymore. So it, 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 that's been working for me for years. <laughs> you just find the average, the average pay rate of, of a job and you go, that is what they make. Cool. I'm going to set up a shop that says I do this now and uh, no one can argue because they'll Google and see the same thing that I saw. Um, so I started a copywriting business in, um, in college. Uh, then, in, and then as a copywriting, I had to learn how to be a 1099 employee or a 1099 independent contractor. 
And that's incredibly helpful because you have to figure out how to get paid. And, and a lot of people, you have to figure out how to like deliver the product while simultaneously ensuring that they'll pay you because you'll learn really quick that people like to take the product and then not pay you at all. So, um, so in 1099, in the 1099 world, I learned a lot on how to just, how to get paid, um, how to make sure I get paid, how, dealing with certain clients, like some are hyper specific. They're like, they want to go line by line and do everything where others are like, I just want as much content as humanly possible. So um, the 1099 is a real independent contracting is a really good place to start. Um, if you're trying to just learn how the business world works, then one of my buddies in college was like, Hey, you want to do real estate? And I'm like, I don't know anything about real estate. And he's just like, well, you can make a ton of money and it's like half the work. And I'm like, I like half the work and 10 times the money. Why haven't, why didn't I think of that? So then I just transferred over for copywriting, I got my real estate license um, like near the end of my uh, college career. And then um, I did all the research. I looked at fix and flips. I looked at uh, Airbnbs and I looked at long-term rentals. Like I looked at every single investment you possibly can in real estate. And then what always kept coming back for the average person was buying long-term rentals because you can house hack, you can do like the down payments aren't completely impossible. Not like Airbnbs, because Airbnbs are a much higher echelon type investment because they're usually nicer properties, which means you have to come up with more money to buy them versus some of most of the rentals that I purchase. Like um, I'm in different states right now and I'm actually buying multiple I'm still buying rental properties today. Um, I'm in multiple states. I, I had to move from state to state because the hedge funds kept buying up everything. So I've been moving from state to state to state, trying to stay ahead of, ahead of the hedge funds. Um, can, I, so, can, I ask, can I ask a question really quick? So how many sure. rental properties do you have? And then are you, you don't have to give me the exact figure, but what's your, what's the range of where you're at with your, uh, with your monthly income with those properties? Uh, I have 25 units, not including the Airbnbs um, right. and not including my Costa Rica stuff. Um, like I said, I got, I got businesses as well. So I got 25 units and I probably make um, net. I probably get around, I don't know, like 10,000 a month between all of them. I mean, I, I haven't looked in a while because, you know, I, I'm, I'm busy trying to expand the portfolio. So I don't really look at the past, you know. But I would say around 10,000 a month on my 25 units. And and right now, um, I'm trying to expand it to because, I mean, for example, if you cash flow with a good cash flow on a long term rental, uh, minimum is $300. Like $300, if something cash flows around $300, uh, it's a pretty good investment. Um, but then again, there's you got to be careful. You got to understand where you are in the system, right? So if you're starting out, you need higher cash flow because you just don't have any money versus an investor. Like for example, some of my clients there, they make six figure income and they don't care about making $300. Like $300 is good for them right. because you know, they're just looking for place to park their money that makes a decent enough money that, you know, and that's the thing with buying long-term rentals or any investment really is understanding where you are in your life, your, your state in the life cycle. You know what I mean? Because if you if you try to do things that are outside your life cycle, um, that's when you run into trouble. For example, you shouldn't be buying absentee owner businesses if you have no idea how to run a business in general. You know, like that's more of a that's a higher echelon. And I like to think long term rentals are the base basic foundational um, building block to all the other investment types. You know. So, uh, but yeah, but then I became uh, a real estate agent. I started buying, it's so funny, the normal real estate agents, they they become agents because they see how much their agent was 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 making when they bought a house. My very first house, like I told you, was this low-income neighborhood, low-income neighborhood, it was a terrible neighborhood, and but I bought it for 40 grand cash and I rented it immediately for $900, right? So I was, I was pocketing $700 a month just because, right? So it's like, just because, I was the landlord. I made seven hundred dollars a month. So seven hundred times ten is seven thousand. So I'm making seven thousand dollars off one investment. And I mean, obviously, you have to manage them, which is, which it's not a, it's a job. It's not really a job. It's more like a, like this is annoying. 
thing like you know because oh man hey the hot water heater gave out let me text my plumber and then the tenants will call the plumber and they'll they'll figure it out um but yeah so then long-term rentals are because of the basic foundational block of everything i teach and everything I, I i train on um it's always hard to buy anything else because it's like well because you're you're always comparing everything else to that long-term rental it's like i know this thing could make x amount of dollars but it, but there's so much more risk maybe i'll just buy more rentals so there's it always ends up going back to long-term rentals because you know the business is so well established that it's hard to go into anything else because you're always trying to compare it to, well, I could use all that money, but then, but then it's like, ah, but I could just buy more rentals. And then, and then I could, like, it, it, it's like, you know, because if you know that business, it's just less risk. Cause it's like, Hey, this is what it is versus mm -hmm. anything new. It's like, well, what happens if it goes South? I could easily use that hundred grand and buy like four more rentals. It's like, ah, yeah. ah. so Anyway, so then I got out of, and then I got, and then I started buying those, and then I bought more, and then I realized that this was a thing. So then I just started finding clients and said, hey, I will do, and I actually ran a property management company as well. So my entire business model was I would help you buy, lease, manage, and then sell. So I was like a one-stop shop. So I would just buy and do rental properties. And then as I expanded into that, I got into higher echelons of clients. So we started doing seller finances. We started doing Airbnbs. You know, we st I started getting all the other real estate investments, um, but it all stemmed from my long, that basic foundation. And then 10 years later, I just kept, you know, rinse, wash, repeat, rinse, wash, repeat. And then as I became more wealthy, I started um, growing into other business models, such as the absentee owner business, which I own a, I own a business down in Costa Rica, which is okay. one of those things. And then I got into Airbnbs. So, and, th and that's why, and that's the thing though. Every time you get into a new investment, you have to understand it's like, okay. And it's almost like taking a bite of something new. Am I going to choke on this? Because I have some investors, they're trying, they want to do like these really big investments. And I'm like, I don't know if you got the funds, man. Like, it's all cool. It's all cool until no one pays you for six months. And then you, you got this $5,000 liability that's just destroying your finances. And then yeah. they're like, ah, oh, yeah, you're probably right. And then, and then we go buy something that's a little bit more reasonable. So, and that's the thing people, and people, and, and, and we're going to talk a little bit later about these get rich schemes. And it's like, the problem with get rich schemes, is like, oh no, you just get rich easily. It's like, oh no, 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 no. It is a, it is a constant battle of, I have X amount of dollars. Can I take this next risk? If I can't take this next risk, well, what kind of risk can I take? So you can find the best opportunity in the world, but if you don't have the money to take advantage of the opportunity, that's not the best opportunity in the world for you. It's actually, it's really fascinating because it's a whole flow system. Because like, like, so well, some investors, they'll have these, they'll have opportunities that they can just get and get and get. That's because they have the financial capacity to take on that risk. But, but then a lot of my clients, don't, you know, because if you only have like three or four or five or six rental properties, it's like, just keep buying rental properties. I know you want to do this next thing, but I've seen that thing ruin people like Airbnbs. I'm not a huge fan of them. Um, they do really, sometimes they do really well, but in general, I'm not, I'm, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of them because they're really hard to purchase and yeah. then convert into a business. It's always best to just have a property and then convert it to an Airbnb. And then you're lucky because, but it's really hard to like convert Airbnbs into a, like a, uh, into a business model where it's like, I can pin, I can, this one, you know, this one makes money. I can make money off it. This one makes money. I can make money off it. It's just really hard to actually, uh, scale it very much. And that's why I'm not a big fan, but I, I'm not against them. I'm just, I'm just not a fan when for a lot of people. So I've got an Airbnb, uh, in Austin, Texas, it's, almost completely passive um, with, with a partner who actually lives there. Um, and it's been a great learning experience. We've been, we've been working at it now for about six months, um, almost, almost totally remotely. You know, we've got a, a cleaner who kind of doubles as a house manager in a way, just takes care of all the little things. And um, it's, it's a house. It's like a, a ranch um, that is close to the airport, not too far from downtown. You know, we thought it would be a great location. It's a three-bedroom house. Um, it is it is cash flowing. We're we're profitable, but it's not to the point that I thought. And uh, um, I think that can be attributed to several factors. I mean, 
obviously people are traveling a little bit less right now. There's uh, there's inflation that we're dealing with and all these other factors, which, which come into play with this stuff for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, that's why I like the long-term rentals because it's like, it's like there's just stability in a long-term rental. Cause it's like, yeah. when has rent ever gone down? Right. And it's I, I, predictable. Well, I looked it up once. It, it only went down once, like generally in, in, in the United States, it went down once and it was in the 1970s. And I, and they believed it was a statistical rounding error. <laughs> like, like that was the only time that it ever went down and it was a rounding error from the seventies. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, you know, that, but I agree, but I, I'm glad you had the same experience that I have because I have a few of them myself and I just don't like them because and my wife, she owns most of them because I don't really like them in my portfolio. So I, I my wife has them. Um, but she doesn't like them as much either because like you said, they're not very stable. Like yeah. there's, there's, there's other aspects of them that can affect your, your margins. And it's just like, right. hundred percent. So you're at 25 properties now. Talk to me about how your strategy in your acquisition of the properties that you own has shifted since you began. Are you acquiring duplexes, fourplexes, like larger apartment buildings? Like what are you, what are you focused on right now? Um, basically my philosophy is I do, uh, so I do between one to four units is my bread and butter because the, that's the stuff big investors don't touch right. and therefore they're still reasonably priced. So one to four, and then you can also use residential loans, um, to buy them. So a fourplex, you can use a residential such as an FHA, a VA or a conventional loan to buy a fourplex. And that's how I work with a lot of my clients. I turn them into house hackers. I teach them how to buy a fourplex, move into one unit, rent the other three. And if you, if you, if you don't have the heart to, because being a property manager or a landlord, it is a, it's a, not the prettiest business. So if you don't have it in your, you don't have the heart for it, then you can hire a property manager. And I help people how, how to hire those guys and be like, Hey, this is what to look for. Cause property managers aren't very good in general. Um, I used to be one, I should know. Uh, I used to be in that industry and I, I used to hate everybody, but well, that was because my model is different than their model. They're more like a maintenance crew, right? They just maintain the investment versus me. I try to maximize profit, which is, these are two different, completely two different systems and property managers, because they're just trying to maintain, they don't care what rent is, right? They'll just increase rent $50 every month, every, every year. Cause that's what they always done. You know, they don't want, they don't want the tenant to leave because if the tenant leaves, they have to work and they hate work. You know, mm -hmm. but for me, I always, I'm always like, okay, this is what the market says. So, cause, cause for example, I had some rentals, I had some rentals, I was renting for 900 and then like two years later they were renting for $1,200. So it's like, you're literally leaving thousands of dollars off the ta table annually. But like I said, it's not property management's job to maximize those profits. It's their job to just be like, Hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Let's just increase it by $50. I'm like, I know, but you could, if you just made a phone call and called the tenant and said, Hey, this is what market rate rent is. I want to increase it by $200. Sorry, man. And then, you know, most of the time they'll pay it because they'll, you know, they'll go to Zillow and be like, Oh, wow. I didn't realize market rent was this technically where I'm still getting a discount at the $200. Um, but a lot of property management companies don't do that. So, um, but then, uh, but like I said, the house hacking, I, I like what units one to four, um, cause you can house hack, especially for, for, uh, first time investors, one to four is your, is going to be, cause then you, that's where you're going to cut your teeth. Right. Cause the way I cut my teeth was, uh, I was actually a live-in landlord as well. Um, it, that if you want, if you want, you want some, if you want some stress and some, you should be a live-in landlord. Like I bought a four bedroom house and I was, I lived in one unit and I rented the other three units to mostly to my friends, but sometimes I would get Craigslisters in there. If you want some fun, be a living landlord. That, my friend, will teach you, oh, oh, man, there's nothing more fun than giving a five-day eviction notice to your roommate. There's nothing better than that. Be like, hey, hey, man, I know you're having breakfast and all, but hey, can you sign this? What? That's an eviction notice. I'm sorry, but you didn't pay your rent, you know? So <laughs> you can do living landlording if, like I said, a lot of this stuff takes guts. So, if, like, but you can do living landlording. One to four is house hacking. And then my other favorite market is five to 12 units. Um, okay. It is another good one because five to 12 is also unloved by uh, it's unloved by commercial investors. 
because five to 12 is it's not enough money for commercial people to buy it, but you can only buy it with commercial loans. So, so you, so it's like five to 12 is this strange little area where it's, 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 nobody wants it because see the people who want to buy it can't because they don't qualify for commercial loans and the people who can buy it don't want it because it's not enough money for them to get a commercial loan because getting a commercial loan sucks in general. So what will happen is, is these guys won't buy. So, so you got this, so five to 12 is a really good Goldilocks market because of just how the system is, the system works. So um, the people, and, but that's the thing though. And then, but they, if they just came out with these new loans, um, these DSCR loans, which can allow normal people with decent income and decent credit and decent net worth, they can actually use these loans to purchase this Goldilocks zone, which they just came out with these like last year. And I'm super excited about them, but, um, that's another, uh, but that's pretty much my, that's pretty much my Goldilocks zone is your one to four for your beginning investors. And then you got your five to 12 which are going to be like, I like for a guy like me, I have 25 units, obviously. Um, if I, if I can, my next investment is going to be a five to 12 unit, five to 12 units. And, uh, but that, that's another thing though. You want to start on those one to four units because a five to 12 is a completely different beast, you know, because it's, it's five to 12 units. That's 12 tenants versus, Hey, I only got three or four or four yeah. or three, you know, but like jumping right to 12. I mean, Oh, you're going to learn so fast, like death by fire hose, my friend. Walk me through your mindset when you're looking to acquire one of those Goldilocks properties. You know, let's let's call it. I don't I don't even know a million, a million and a half, two million for for a building like that. And let me know if that's completely off. Like, what are you looking to put down on that? What is your mindset as far as like getting that loan, like creating the mortgage? So basically, the so when I buy stuff. I only look at cash flow. Cash flow is king. Like okay. if you buy something with no cash flow, there's no money to, to do repairs. There's no money to do evictions. There's no money because what a lot of people don't understand is buying anything, buying anything real estate based, you need a big pile of money just as backup. That's why, like with well, most of my clients, it's not just I can't just get anyone off the street and do what I do. It had like it has to be someone in a good financial position. Because I'll give you a perfect example. We just bought a fourplex in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we've already spent almost $30,000. Like we had to put down seventy five grand, So we put down $75,000. But then we had to re-up all the units. So then as tenants would leave, we had to spend four to five grand because, you know, they're, they're slumlord properties. You know, the, guy, the guys who owned them never maintained them. So you're, all, you're looking at like an easy four or five grand per unit. So now we're, we're already in this investment, $100,000. Um, and it's a fourplex. And that's the problem, though. It's like if you don't have 100 grand plus to, have to chill, uh, like hanging out, you got to be really careful. Um, but like I said, we bought that purely as an investment. That wasn't like that's not house hacking. That was purely an investment. Like he's an investor. He's got big piles of money. Um, but for like a normal person, you'd have to be really, really careful because you'd have to buy that same fourplex but you couldn't get rid of all the tenants immediately. You have to round robin them, right? So you have to move into the one and then you basically have to raise the rent on the next door neighbor, see if they'll pay or if they'll leave. If they leave, you can't raise the rent on anyone else because you don't have like for a first time, for a first time investor, like if all three units were vacant, that would destroy you because you have the mortgage to pay. You had to rehab all the units. So you have to round robin them out. You got to go to unit. You got to go to the next unit. Hey, are you willing to pay? Awesome. Raise the rent, get a new lease signed, done. Move to the next one. Hey, that guy leaves. Okay, I'm going to leave the last unit alone until we get this one rented at the price we need. So they have to spend five, six grand to get it fixed up. Boom, mm-hmm. re-rented. Once the moment that lease is signed and that guy's good to go, you move to the last one and you raise the rent on him. Boom. You just, but that takes almost a year, to, year or two because you know you have to 30 day notice them and sometimes they don't like just to rehab them then you got to find new tenant so to get a fourplex fully operational takes one to two years um but the problem is is if it doesn't cash flow and the whole caveat the whole point of me talking about all that was if the property doesn't cash flow how are you going to pay for all those repairs how are you going to pay for the mortgage how are you going to pay for anything so that's why i remember we were talking about um um, minimum minimum amounts of cash flow returns. Like for a fourplex, you couldn't do the three hundred dollar rule, 
right? $300, that's going to be for your single family homes or your condos or your townhouses. But for a fourplex, that thing's got to cash at least $1,500, $2,000 a month. Otherwise, it's like, why are we even in the investment itself? Yeah. And the, but that's the thing, though. If it, But that's the thing. You have to use all the calculators and the algorithms to find out. Because if it doesn't cash flow at the money I need, then that you can't buy it, right? So there's no... So most of my mindset is if the Excel sheet says no, even if you love it, it's the most beautiful property you've ever seen. It's beautiful. It's sexy. Best deal ever. But if it doesn't do, but if the Excel sheet says no, ah, you just, you, you go, you just, you just, you know, you just go, you sigh and you just get real sad and then you move on to the next one. <laughs> and then you find the ugliest one in the, you find the ugliest one in the Excel sheet. You hate it. It's like, it's ugly. Like that's a terrible investment loop. But if the Excel sheet says yes, you're like, Oh, come on, Excel sheet, don't do this to me. And you're like, and then and then you buy it because if the Excel sheet says it's a good buy, I mean, I don't argue with the Excel sheet. The Excel sheet, the Excel sheet is God in my opinion. Whatever the Excel sheet says, fine. I, I don't like that property, but if you like an Excel sheet, done. And then I do what the Excel sheet says. And, I, and the Excel sheet has never been wrong because the, <laughs> the Excel sheet doesn't care about my emotions. The Excel sheet doesn't care how I feel. The mar- it doesn't care how you feel. It doesn't care how anyone feels. It's just it's math, right? And the math's like, look by that. Ah, I don't want to Excel sheet. But you know what I mean? And that's another thing you got to get into your brain is, no, do what the math says. I know you want that sexy place. I know you want this place. I know you want that place. You, you just moved to Arizona. I you want that place in Scottsdale? No, yes. you can't. You can't have the place in Scottsdale. You can't afford it, and the property doesn't make very much money. I, it blows my mind when people buy long-term rentals in a place like Scottsdale because it's like that makes negative money. I, I, it kind of makes sense in my head because of like it's nice and I can live there and it's it's a it's a flex, but then it also doesn't make any money, and I'm just kind of like like they're buying it for reasons that are not money making right so that's like i cash flow only they buy stuff for equity i have an investor he only buys he doesn't and there's two models there's cash flow play and 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 there's equity play a lot of investors do equity play that's when i'm just buying this i don't care if it cash flows i just want a house in a nice neighborhood that i think is going to maintain its value and a downturn and upturn i really don't care it's i'm buying it for equity and i'm buying it for reasons that are not cash flow based and then you got your cash flow people, which are guys like me. I buy usually in low-income neighborhoods because nobody wants low-income neighborhoods. Because nobody wants them, they're cheap, but the rents are still high because rents are high everywhere. You know what I mean? And then, so most of what I, I always purchase is this low in, low-income neighborhoods uh, because there's just higher margins there. Because it's like it's like because there's not high demand for these properties on the purchase side, it keeps the prices low. It, but price, but rent is high everywhere. So rent is high everywhere. So prices are low and the rents are high. That's basically my mindset whenever I buy any rental ever. I mean, that should be the mindset for buying Airbnbs. It should be the mindset for long-term rentals. For absentee owner business, same thing. Um, me and my wife, we bought a nail salon once because my wife is Vietnamese and there's like 50% chance, 50% chance you might own a nail salon if you marry a Vietnamese woman. I ended up on the 50% chance that owns a nail salon. Anyway, so we bought that thing for really cheap because it wasn't being run properly. And then my wife didn't want to run it anymore. So we sold it. But we doubled our money in like a year and a half, you know, like so. But I mean, that was another thing. It's like, but the thing was, is we couldn't I couldn't get the wife to turn it into an absentee owner business. And because I couldn't get her to actually, I think we're going to talk about that. What were some of the investments that didn't turn out that right, turn out that well? Well, we're trying to do an absentee owner nail salon, but I could get my wife physically out of the business. She's just like, she's one of those people that's like, I want to watch, I want to watch it. I want to have, I want to, I want to make sure it's running. I don't trust people to have it run it by itself. I want to be in the business, but sure. then she would, and then she would get tired. And the problem is like, you know, once you get tired, you, you want to sell it. And then we ended up selling it. Um, but that was prop. But I mean, we doubled our money. So it's one of those, the purpose of it, was to have an absentee owner business that cash flowed, but the end game, but at the end we ended up having to sell it because we couldn't transfer it into the absentee owner business model. Yep. And, but I mean, at the end of the day, we sold it for double the money. So it's like, it was kind of like one of those, you know, it's like, like it did go the way I planned, but I still made money. So, eh. but that's another thing you got to worry about is exit strategy. Every investment you purchase, 
You have to have an exit strategy. What happens if it doesn't convert to an absentee owner business? What happens if that Airbnb doesn't doesn't ever profit the number you need it to? Right? And then you just have a job. Like it could be 100% remote, but it's like, dude, do I really want to answer texts to guests at like at like three in the morning for like a thousand dollars a month? Uh, you know, it's like then you have to have those those conversations in your head. Is this enough money for me to have these slight annoyances in my life? You know. Hey, this is Michael. I'm popping in for 20 seconds here to challenge you to take the next step in your growth journey. I've helped over 40 business owners amplify their operation inside of my immersive one-on-one, which is unlike any other coaching program out there. We'll be getting hands-on, doing content planning, script writing, ads optimization, customer mapping, and a lot more. So if it makes sense to chat, the link to schedule your call is in the description. All right, back to the show. 100%, and I can attest to that too. Um, I've been obsessed with this idea of early retirement since I started learning about it. And um, my strategy has been multi-pronged. I do want to share that with you both to get your feedback, but also because I think it will be beneficial for, for everyone listening, just to give you an idea of um, all of the different ways that you can kind of approach this. So I've got a done for you Amazon store. I spent my life savings to buy that. So that was a 30 grand investment just for the service um, with somebody that I know I can trust. Um, That has not produced yet. It's been about a year. So I think we're looking at another year until um, that becomes actually relevant and cash flowing. So I've got that kind of sitting there. Um, I've got a Kong and water business that is basically sitting stagnant, just never lifted off the way I anticipated. Um, It's still an open lane for me, but it's, it's just, it's not really, it's not really popping the way I wanted. So, uh, that's really what inspired me to start looking at real estate somewhat recently. I actually, uh, um, am working with, with a separate coach on that, but just general thoughts on, on any of that, I guess, in terms of the variety of options, you know, in the, in the real estate world or the world in general, like what are your recommendations for somebody who's maybe just getting into thinking about lifestyle design and wants to jump in and, and expedite the process how, however they can? Well, well, you're basically a perfect client of mine. Like you were basically every client. I feel like you're like my, you're like my pristine clients. Like I don't, I want to retire in <laughs> right. 10 years and yeah. I, have all the, I, and I'm willing to invest in all these different things. It's yeah. just the question becomes, like, how do I invest in a thing that actually makes money versus doesn't make money? Um, right. Uh, yeah, I, well, my biggest thing is the reason I do real estate, and I, I think we talked about this before, there's a reason I always go back to long-term rentals because I've had such success with those, you know? So it's like every time, so for you, you, I'm glad you're finally getting in the real estate side. And as you come to, like, the biggest thing is just make sure your coach is telling you the right things because... I mean, nothing against anybody, but I just, like I said, I don't read books. The reason I don't read books is because like my experiences is from my own. I, I ran a property management company for, for years, ran, managing, I had about a hundred units underneath my belt at one time. And, and like, the thing is, I know the ins and outs of, of landlording and landlording is a great business. Um, as long as you do it right, but there's a million ways to screw up landlording. Like, I was reading this book. I was at like a FedEx. I was at a FedEx and there was this like property management book. And I'm like, I'm like, Oh good. Let me read. And I was with my buddy. I'm like, let me read the property management book. And, the, and, the, and it's funny because the woman in the book was like, I had one bad tenant and this is what they did. And I'm just over here going like, dude, I've evicted over three to four. I've evicted like 300 people. And this woman's only had one bad experience. Who are you? <laughs> like, what do you mean? And most of my evictions are, um, like I'll buy a place and the tenants just refuse to leave, you know, because it's like, dude, your rent's $400. I need the rent to be $800. Please leave. And then they just refuse. So most of my evictions are all from grandfathered in tenants, but, but like you, like yourself, I, you need a base. That's why I tell everybody, you need a base that makes money. And once you have a base that makes money, you can then use that. Cause I think your multi-pronged approach is incorrect. You know, I don't want to be mean or anything, but I think it's too, you're shotgunning. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. So whenever I train people, I actually, I call it, I actually call it, um, I'm actually creating a meetup in an online class right now called Yield Hunters. So the thing with being a yield hunter is you have to find a niche 
make that niche successful, and then you go on to the next niche, right? So my evolution was very simple. Long-term rentals. I mastered long-term rentals. That's why I, I, I only do one. That's why it's always really hard for me. I get people coming to me with opportunities all the time. And I'm like, I know you want $100,000 investment. That's fine. But I could buy like four duplexes with that. And they're like, and I'm like, can you beat that? And they're like, well, we can't, no one can beat that. I'm like, exactly. You can't beat my base unit foundational thing. Cause I know what it's going to do. There's no, there's not going to be any major surprises. It's not going to be like, oh, wow, this is crazy. So I think for you, you need to focus on one thing and one thing only that makes money, but you have to pick something that like, like definitely makes money. Right. So like, I, I don't know anything about the, the water business or anything like that. Um, or Amazon. Um, I have a buddy of mine. He loves those Amazon drop stores. I personally have never done them. Um, because uh, the problem is, is they're like, they all run themselves. But like I said, I have no experience with them. Therefore, I couldn't advise you on anything about them. How, however, like if I had, if I had, if I, if you could go back, I would end up buying long-term rentals because at least, and it's not, and I mean, I'm biased obviously, cause that's my, my entire business has always been the foundation, but for me only, um, in general, uh, the multi-prong approach, like, it's like, Hey, just focus on that water business. Once the water business makes money, remember, we talked about biting on, biting on off more. You can chew, yes. right. You need to focus on one thing, make it successful. And if it's not successful, then you have, I like to call it, it's called divesting. It's called, I screwed up. I'm going to divest this, get back, recoup my money, but then I have to find something new to invest in. Right. So with my mortgage clients, right. So we got really lucky. We've been buying these duplexes and multifamily stuff for years. And then the pandemic happened and all the hedge funds blew up all the property values. So what ended up happening was, is I advised all my clients to do cash out refinances. So we were pulling out like 250K, 200 grand. But the only reason I told them to do that was because I had a different market. We could put that money in, right? You don't want to pull 250K at a 4%, 5% interest unless you have a use for it. So- I think for you, it, like I said, this is just me spitballing here, but I think I think what you need to do is divest in whatever's not making any sense. Like if you can recoup money, just recoup. Like if the Kagan business is taking up your time, and it's taking up time, it's eating money, and it hasn't it hasn't done anything you need to. It's time to divest out of that and then reinvest it in something that you know. Like, like I said, you're getting in the multifamily business, which hey, fantastic, divest reinvest in the multifamily side. And then I would do the same thing with the Amazon store. Is it even possible to divest? So for me, I would just write out my entire portfolio, figure out what do you actually need and what's the actual likelihood of it, of it panning out? Because if that Amazon thing isn't going to pan out, what's the likelihood? Because I'm, I'm a man of odds. If, if I can't call odds on things, then I don't like it as an investment, right? Like, for example, a lot of my, my, lot of my investors like crypto. I'm like, dude, crypto, you can't call odds on crypto. There's no odds. It's it's one day it's worth a cent, the next day it's worth a million dollars. It's like, I, okay, congratulations. For all the people who bought, made all the money on that, congratulations. But was that was that was that was was that like a was that a business? No, it was a, I just sat on the right. It's like that guy who owns land and then the government wants his land and it gives him a million dollars because they really want his land. You know, it's like congratulations, right time, right place, right time. But did you actually do anything? No. <laughs> like, congratulations. You were that guy who owned that 50 acres of farmland for 40 years. And that corporation really needed it. <laughs> you, you, you won the game. So if for me, and that's why I'm always big on. So so when I, it's funny to me because um, I don't read. But when I went to college, I have, a, I have, like, I have like two degrees. And a lot of all of them are in finance and business management. So. I, it's called retrenchment. So you're in a retrenchment stage of your life. So you basically made a bunch of investments. They're not working out. You need to retrench and divest. You need to start pruning this. You got to start pruning this money, this money tree, right? Okay. The, the water's not working out. How much money can I recoup? And then if you can't recoup and if you can't recoup, and then you have to realize, well, if I can recoup $20,000, I could then use that as a down payment for something else. And then what's the return on that? Uh Oh, it's my two year old. Hi. It's like, get out of here, two-year-old. Hi, cutie. <laughs> ah. She wants to learn about investing in real estate. Oh, don't get me started. It's funny. Um, she, she's actually going to take over the uh, the empire once I'm done. 
I, I'm actually really excited. I'm so excited when she's like 12 and I can teach her to do my taxes. Like my wife scoffs at me, but I'm like, no, she's going to do my taxes at 12. And by, because if you can run books, you can run, you can do any job anywhere, right? If you can run books, they'll hire you in a heartbeat. But anyway, I think I'm starting to repeat myself. Uh, my daughter has saved us from my long tangent, but yeah, you need to uh, retrench your business, divest, and then reinvest in something that is just uh, just has a much better return. And it doesn't have, like I said, with where you're at, I don't know where you're at in your life, but it might be that you just do something that's not, you know, a moonshot, as they like to say, and yeah. just just do something standard. Yeah. Cause then, cause then if you have those, then if you have the, that base, that foundation, then you can take on new and bigger things. Uh, but it sounds to me like you don't really have that base, right? Cause you have multiple businesses, but none of them are doing the things you need them to. And that's why I always, that's why I always end up going back to long-term rentals because with long-term rentals, like I said, it's, it's, you know, it's stable. Rent, yeah. rent stays the same. People always need a place to live. There's no, I mean, uh, and then once you learn the business, it's like like Airbnb does like whatever the hotel business is doing has no effect. Hell, I don't like Airbnb right now. Uh, actually, never mind. I will leave it alone. I'll leave that. I'll leave that one alone. But uh, but uh, but to, it's. <laughs> can I just can I piggyback off of what you were saying because I think it's an important yeah. point and yeah. I've re I've reflected and contemplated a lot on um, why I've made the decisions that I've made. And what I want to share with everyone, my, my takeaways from that is like when I first approached this whole uh, early retirement slash lifestyle design thing, it was very much driven by both excitement, but also desperation. And I felt like I needed to achieve as many passive income channels as humanly possible as quickly as possible. And that sort of propelled me to start seeking out all of these different avenues. And when I found, you know, my first, my first business, Kong and Water, like at the time, that was the thing. That was the shiny object. And I have shiny object syndrome bad. And I, as a rookie, I didn't understand this idea of focus and what Lucas was, was alluding to a minute ago. Like choose one thing, learn everything you can about that, get that right. Even if it is a passive investment, because realistically, like nothing's totally passive. You're going to be thinking about it. You're going to be heads down in the business. And you want to make sure that that works. And I'm in a spot now, and I want you guys to learn from this. I'm in a lull because I have over 45K sitting out there between my Amazon store and my Kong and Water business. Neither of them are doing what I wanted them to do or hoped, them, hoped that they would do. And to be honest with you guys, like my level of confidence on those two working is lower than it was when I first began. I'll just leave it at that. But the learnings that I've taken away from that has made it worth it in a sense. And I'm also open to a, a larger amount of risk being that, you know, I, I started at 29. I am playing the long game, even though I was looking at it from a micro perspective, but that has switched. I'm now thinking more macro and I'm taking those learnings and I'm moving forward. But Lucas's great, great, you know, perspective on divesting and remaining focused is one that we can all learn from and take away. So thank you for sharing that, man. Yeah. Well, like my number one thing I teach everybody, it's called a uh, sunk cost. Sunk cost, it, you need to embody the concept of sunk cost because once that money's gone, man, it's gone. Yeah. Don't, yep. don't throw good money after bad. It's gone. Just divest, take your loss. And like I said, like I tell all my clients, it's a tax write-off. Congratulations. You won't have to pay taxes for the next three years. <laughs> But I just lost a million dollars. Like I said, I'm not gonna have to pay taxes for the next three years. But okay, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I don't know what else to tell. You. At least you get a benefit for losing, guys. <laughs> you get tax write-offs, my my friends. At least, like I said, what other what other thing in life do you get a benefit from losing? Like I just lost money in the stock market, and I'm just like, and it's funny because I'm 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 doing what I was telling you to do. I'm investing right now. I invested in these multiple things. It didn't work out the way I wanted. I'm divesting and then I'm reinvesting it into something else. Um, and, you know, I just took my loss and I'm like, sweet, tax write off. And I move on. Like, you have to embody sunk costs because sunk costs is the, like I said, you can't be emotional about any of these things. It's just like, like, just for example, your water business. Let's just say you really wanted it to be successful. You have all this time and effort and money put into it. But if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. You know, it doesn't 
doesn't make sense to cry about it. Like I said, with my nail salon, I actually really enjoyed the nail salon. I, I, and like I said, my wife explained to me very bluntly, um, <laughs> you gotta let it go, Luke. And I'm like, fine, 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 fine. And then we sold it and it was all good. But that, that's just like, he's got to embody that sunk cost mentality because because and like the worst part is is like it's kind of like the crypto guys the diamond hands like i got diamond hands i will i will ride this thing into the ground and it's like um crypto has a tendency to ride itself into the ground i think you should you should sell and go like divest and go and you know go do something that doesn't involve you know like if, if your investments give you ulcers then you should they shouldn't be in your portfolio right not at all totally yeah, so so one I guess to wrap up quick, quick, uh, and we didn't, we didn't even, we didn't get into to fire yet. Maybe you can just briefly scratch the surface here. Um, but you, one thing we talked about was just the sheer volume of these opportunities out in the market. Um, one thing that I've noticed, there's a lot of these get rich quick, uh, schemes, but also desires, you know, um, that have, I think evolved as a byproduct of this social media age. Um, there's both supply and there's demand, um, good, bad, or otherwise for a lot of these get rich quick stuff. Um, take us through what these sound like when you hear them so that people don't fall prey and then maybe how fire shoots for longevity over getting it fast. All right. Well, rule number one, getting wealthy sucks. Yeah. There's no, there's no ladder. Like there's no ladder. There's no, like, there's no emergency ladder. There's no ejection seat right into wealth. It's either you build it over years and years and years, or you're one of those super lucky people that mm -hmm. it's like, Oh wow. I, I bought, I bought Bitcoin when it was worth three cents and that was worth $20,000 a coin. Congratulations. You have won. Like I, I like to say the lottery. And um, the problem with that is, is like, Winning the lottery is not a good financial plan. <laughs> so, so, because, uh, and that's pretty much your two versions of it, right? There really is no one in between. It's either long, long, like, like yourself, you have a portfolio of investments right now and you've seen what it's like. It's like some things work out, some things don't work, and you're, yeah. you're gonna have to die, you're gonna have to invest, divest, and you're gonna have to do this for multiple years. But it's all about consistency, right? It's all about learning sunk costs. It's about, I, I have to continue moving, 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 moving. I got to move this. I got to move that. Like, like you can attest to this. It's not easy, right? Like, you, you just buy keg and water. You just buy a keg and water business, and it makes all the money. No, no, it doesn't. So, like, the red flags, so I'll, I'll just give you three red flags real quick. Red flag number one is if they, they make it sound so easy to be successful, it's just like you just – just sign away your money you just pay for this program and you'll be rich like like that's red flag number one is when they're like you'll just get wealthy it's great it's easy anyone can do it the reality is they can't that's why that's why there's a bunch of rich that's why there's a very small select people who are rich and there's a very vast majority of us who are poor you know what I'm saying? that's like that's how the real world works so number one if they think it, if they make it sound easy it's not uh number two um, here's the, here's my number one thing for teaching people. I train them how to view. So interest rate, people don't realize that interest rate means risk. So, or ROI means risk. So, because, because if you're getting a really high ROI, the reason you're getting that ROI is because you're taking on such major risk. So you have to realize like to get these ROIs, you're taking on higher risk, right? Like 10% sounds really cool. Until you realize it's like, well, how do they make that 10%? Oh, wow. That could be wiped out tomorrow by a government organization changing a law. Or that could be wiped out by, like, Amazon could buy them out and wipe, the, like, Amazon could make a competitor and wipe them out tomorrow. Like, that 10% is cool and all until, until, until you realize, oh, hey, guess what? There's, there's major market risk to that investment. Like, they could wipe you out in, in a day, right? So number two is how to gauge ROI and risk. Right. Because a perfect example is crypto. Crypto, they were given out like 25% returns, 20% returns. And if you don't realize that 20% returns aren't possible, you cannot get 20% returns anywhere. Here's my perfect example. Warren Buffett, Berkshire Hathaway, you know what his average return is a year? Mm -mm. Do you know? No. Mm. It's around 17.5%. So the, the Oracle of Omaha makes 17.5% annually. Right. 
So they're therefore, and that's a really, 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 really good return. But yeah. that's the thing, though. If the if the if Warren Buffett, the guy who's the master of all this, can only make seventeen point five, but he knows what he's doing. Can you imagine if someone comes up to you and says, "I give you a twenty five percent return"? No, mm-hmm. you can't. Warren Buffett doesn't get that, which means you don't get that. So that's another thing you have to understand: ROI versus risk versus return. Because if they're giving you numbers that just make no sense, and that's the thing you have to understand. And that's why I always go back to my, my long-term rentals because I know the risk. I can get 10 caps or 10% ROIs. I can get 10% pluses on my on my uh, rentals. Therefore, that's my basic comparison for all their investments. Okay. So you, my friend, have to get a basis of comparison. You have to sit there and go, this is my basis. All other investments must be gauged based off this basis. Therefore, anytime someone shows up with a get rich scheme, you can always compare it to your basis and be like, no, dude, that's a scam. You're full of crap. You can't, like what you're saying is not real because I have a business and this is a business that other people do. And this is a business that's verified, that makes actual money. I don't know what you're doing. That is not how the real world works. So number one, getting rich is easy. Number two, you have to learn this basis for all investing. Because once you learn this basis, you can start you can start rooting out the scams real quick because they always give outrageous numbers. They're like, oh, wow, you get 33%. We'll double your money in a year. No one can double your money in a year, okay? <laughs> Nobody. Unless, like, it's not real, right? Yeah. So number two yeah. is you have to learn that basis. Um, and then number three is track record. You got to verify these people are real and how did they make their money, right? So number three is track record of the person selling you the get rich scheme. So most of these get rich schemers, what they'll do is, you know how they got rich? Years, years in the trenches. No, they, they sell info products. They sell you, they sell you something for $20, but then they get a million people to buy that $20 thing, knowing for a fact that what they're selling isn't real, but $20 isn't enough money for, you know, for anyone to sue over, you know what I mean? Or, I mean, some of them even cost $10,000, $12,000. So a lot of these guys, you got to research the gurus themselves and be like, and realize, and that's the thing with being a real business owner. Like that's the problem with so many people who get all for these get rich schemes is like, I'm a real business owner. I have employees. I know how business works. Okay. So, but if you go to these guys, they don't have businesses. They sell education online. They sell these things. Like they have, like they don't have employees. They have systems in place to basically be like, Hey, if you pay $10,000 for my education, well, guess what? You'll be rich. And it's like, no, 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 you won't. Like, you won't get rich. You get yeah. rich. I mean, the only way you can get rich is by selling education for $10,000 a pot. That's how you get rich. Right? Nice. So like, that's the three red flags for gurus and get rich schemes is one. If it's like, it's too good to be true. It's, it is. And number two, you have to have some sort of basis. And like, like, for example, one of my favorite investments are real estate investment trusts, right? I love REITs. REITs are one of my favorite because they, they are designed as cash flow. And you can just buy them and let your money sit. And they make, some of them make eight, nine, 10%. Uh, they make eight, nine, 10% annually. And it literally do nothing. All you got to do is get a, you know, an E-Trade account and blink, 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 blink. It's like, hey, guess what? You make, you can, you could potentially make this much money. And it's like, and it's like, and they see what I mean? That's another one of your bases, right? Like if I could, if I could, if I can invest in REITs, how do you beat that? Like, yeah. so whenever you, anyone approaches you with an opportunity, you need these bases. It's like, I could do this or I could do that. How do you, how are you going to guarantee or at least make, make, make returns like this? Cause I hate it when people will get bought into these things. Like there's a lot of syndications. It's so funny to me. They're like, they sell people on 5% returns. And I'm like, 5%, you could go get a certificate of deposit for 5%. What's wrong with you? Like, but that's the thing though, that people don't know what a good return is, you know, they don't know. It's like, hell, you didn't even know. You didn't even, <laughs> like, yeah. like, like what, what is a good return? Like, and the thing is, is people don't are, are really bad at gauging that return versus risk. And that's the thing you have to learn. And like I said, the third thing is fact check these people. Cause most of them got, you know how they got that Ferrari or that Lamborghini or whatever it is, you know how they got the Lambo. Well, they stole $10,000 education programs 
to a thousand people, and that's like a million dollars. That's like a million dollars. Like, congratulations! That's how he bought a Lambo. He he sold education products, and and that's the thing. You got to make sure whoever you're buying this off isn't an education promoter and actually has like real life experience. Is take it from a guy who's a I'm an actual business owner who owns actual businesses. I'm in the trenches. I actually I actually want to write a book called Trench Riches because. I'm in the trenches every day. Hell, I just evicted three people last week, you know? Like, I'm in the trenches, okay? I got a death threat last week, okay? How many of these nervous scheme gurus got a death threat last week? <laughs> like, but that's just the game, you know? It's like, anyway, that, that's your three people. Um, and then for the fire movement, uh, for the fire movement, I didn't create it. Um, their fire has been around for a while. I'm just tapping into it because me and most of my clients have achieved fire. I'm only 33 years old and I don't have to work anymore. Um, my, my, most of my clients are in their early thirties, uh, late, like early thirties, late, uh, early, like late 30, early to late thirties is most of my clients. All of us own multiple businesses. We own long-term rentals, Airbnbs. Um, some of us, we rent to assisted livings. I have a guy, he loves assisted livings. That's how he makes all his money is assisted livings. Some of my guys, they make sober livings. Like there's a million niches, but like we were talking about before, you just have to pick one, make money at it. Don't, 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 don't venture off anywhere else. Make the one thing successful. Cause if you can, like for me personally, I would love to own sober livings. That's actually one of my next investments I'm going to get looking into are sober livings cause they're really good money. But um yeah, but I but the fire movement means just I I, I added win to it. So fire, financial independence, retire early. I don't want to retire early. I just want to win, right? I want to be able to retire whenever I want, right? That's what I want to do. Because personally, I could do that. And the best part about all my clients are they don't have the same problems that normal people have, right? Like one of my clients, my uh, his boss tried to mandate overtime. And my, my guy owns two fourplexes and the guy's just like, I'm not doing that. He's like, well, fire you. And he's like, do it. I make more money on my, on my inside investments than I do here. You want to like, like, you want to fight? Like, I don't care. Like fire me. But they were so, they were so, they needed bodies though. So like my buddy was able to just be like, I'm not doing mandated overtime. Right. I don't want to. And, and they, he kept his job because, you know, because a lot of times those employers need you more than you need them. Unless yes. it's like, like it's like, but the reality is, if you need the money, you don't want to test that theory, right? So for me, winning isn't about, and I think he, I think our our buddy here, um, or Michael, is saying that basically, uh, retiring, retire, like everyone thinks being a billionaire or a millionaire, like I want to be successful now, today. For me, success is just being able to tell your boss, I don't want to work mandated overtime. That to me is fire. Right there, because I don't have I don't have to like I have money stashed away and I have investments that I can live off of. That to me is fire. Not millions, not billions, not not these get rich schemes. It's hey boss, I don't want to work mandated overtime because I'm in a financial position. I can tell you no. Versus most people, it's hey, I don't have a check. I I, I need this job. I can't get fired. I. And that's what makes me, and, I, and I'm from, I'm from a small town in Pennsylvania. So I'm like, a really, I'm like, a, I, I'm, I'm one of those working types. Like I, 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 I'm a weird financial planner. Cause I'm like heavy on like the working, the working class. I love the working class. And like most of the time for me, I'm like, that's, that's the people I like to work with or those guys. It's like, Hey, I, I don't let them take advantage of you have my, have this ability to be like, Hey, I don't work mandate over time. I don't want to work for, I don't want to work this. I don't want to work that. I don't want to work. You hired me to work day shifts. I don't want to work a night shift. Yep. And, um, but yeah, that's pretty much why I created my financial planning business. Cause I've helped a lot of my clients become, like I said, not, not, none of them were rich starting out. They, they house hacked and they just listened to what I said. We just been following the market, doing everything we're supposed to do. And like I said, there's nothing, I feel like my, like my favorite things in this world is when they can just say, no, I don't want you to take advantage, advantage of me as an employee because it's just not fair. But if you have these other investments, it's, hey, I, I, I like for me personally, you just saw my daughter. I love my, I, I'm so happy. I just get to watch her grow up, right? So my, I work out of my, I work out of my house and I get to watch my daughter grow up. As soon as I get off this, 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 this podcast, 
I'm going to go out there and I'm going to go pick her up and tell her she's pretty and I'm going to have a really good day. But anyway, um, hey, sorry. Yes, I, I got to run. I got to cut you off. I got to run, brother. I got another meeting. No worries. But, uh, this has been a great conversation. Give people your website real quick so they know where they can find you. Oh, um, rhmreal.com. That is uh, Romeo Hotel Mike. Romeo Echo Alpha Lima.com. So rhmreal.com. Um, you can check me out there. I'm actually going to have a summit the next few months um, where I'm going to talk about all the ways to do absentee owner businesses, Airbnbs, long term rentals, all that good stuff. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to get a hold of me, just get a hold of me through my website and hopefully we can get a financial plan started for you. Awesome. I will be there and I look forward to, uh, to chatting again soon, man. All right. Thanks, Michael. Hey guys, if you found value in this episode, it would mean the world to me if you share it with a friend and on social media and be sure to tag me so that I can repost and please rate and review as everything helps so that I can get this knowledge to as many people as humanly possible. All right, I'll see you in the next episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. My book, Content Capitalist, is on sale now. Grab your copy by visiting my website or tapping the link in the episode description. I also just released the online learning portal, which expands on what I shared in the book. This includes four hours of edited, captioned video tutorials and trainings, plus dozens of downloadables and templates. Between the book and the e-academy, you're going to be equipped to literally blow your revenue targets out of the water and eviscerate your competition this year, all by putting content at the core. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, comment, and share all the things and hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect. I am here to serve you and that's it. I will see you in the next episode.